Voices of Hope is a podcast of New Hope Presbyterian Church in Castle Rock, Colorado. New Hope is a church that puts people first. Our Sunday worship is on site and online at 9.30 a.m. And you can listen to our sermons and podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and any popular podcast platforms. This week, Pastor Jordan concludes our series, What If Jesus Was Serious?, with a sermon titled, What If Jesus Was Serious About Righteousness? Scripture comes from Matthew 5, 21-37, read by Pastor Don. Listen, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is an answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, You fool! Uh, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there at the front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother or sister. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth. You will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. Uh, here ends, uh, oh, we are doing divorce. Well, I take, I take back all the nice things I said about you then. <laughs> sorry, sorry, my bad. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits uh, adultery. Again, you've heard it said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, uh, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, uh, do not swear or make promises at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, uh, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make uh, one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. All right, so we are, we're kind of ending our time here with what if Jesus is serious as a uh, sermon series as we're coming up on Palm Sunday. So today we're going to talk about what if Jesus was serious about righteousness, and we're going to talk about the tough teachings of Jesus that we like to ignore. 
when we talk about the righteousness today and what uh, Don read in Scripture, I think there's three major parts to Scripture read. It's really long Scripture. There's a lot in there that we could unpack, but that would take a really long time. So we're going to kind of highlight a couple different things. And I think the main things Jesus is talking about is, first, he's talking about anger, he's talking about desire, and then he's talking about truth. So those are three main things we're going to go over together uh, from the Scripture. And I want to play a little game first, a game, exercise, whatever you want to call it. And I want you to pay attention when we, we're going to have some quotes. And we're going to, it's a game called, guess who said that quote that made you outraged? Okay? So pay attention to your body. Pay attention to your body. Pay attention to your spirit, what you feel when we read some of these. And then we'll reveal who said them. And then, then again, recognize how are you feeling after you realize who said it because some of the quotes maybe you're going to hear and you're going to think I agree with that I I got that and then if you see the person who said it you're like maybe not (laughs) all right it'll be fun all right let's go (laughs) we'll all get loose together with this all right Fear lies at the core of racism in the church and society as well as at the core of the marriage between white evangelicals and republicanism. Fear was a core value in my home growing up, and it's also a core value in this country. And God help us, it is a core value of the church. If you want to control us, tell us everything is a threat and everything is a slippery slope. So feel in yourself reading that. How do you feel? Are you feeling a little bit nervous, a little bit uneasy. Well, this quote comes from Beth Moore. All right? If you don't know Beth Moore, Beth Moore uh, is a writer, author, speaker, uh, preacher. She writes a lot of those Bible studies maybe you've done in past churches before. So that was Beth Moore. So pay attention to how you're feeling now after that. Next one. If you wake up one morning and you find yourself in a society where 23-year-olds with four-year college degrees, uh, if they can't make enough to buy a car or much less a home, much less get married or have children, then why should you be surprised when half of them prefer socialism? Pay attention to your body, your spirit. Somebody's hand shaking right now. All right. Who said it? Tucker Carlson. Now feel yourself. Now feel how you're feeling. All right? Next one. A gay person who still wants to attend church after the way they've been treated, I'm telling you, they have more faith than I do. All right? Andy Stanley. Okay? Oh, yeah, you're feeling it now. You're making some verbal comments. Good. Next one. I'm in the crosshairs of the woke mob right now. Just wait. (laughs) The former Packers quarterback, Aaron Rodgers. So, okay, next one. Today, Christians stand up at the head of this country, a pledge that I never will tie myself to parties who want to destroy Christianity. We want to fill our culture again with the Christian spirit. We want to burn out all the recent immoral developments in literature, in the theater, and in the press. 
In short, we want to burn out the poison of immorality which has entered into our whole life and culture as a result of liberal excess during the past few years. All right, feel it. Who said it? Adolf Hitler. Okay, now feel yourself. You're like, oh. The first, the quote, you're probably like, kind of agree with that. I got that. Now you're like, I don't know. It feels weird. It feels awkward. I think that's the last one. Yes. So thank you for doing that exercise with me. Recognizing how you feel during that, recognizing uh, maybe the outrage you start to feel with some of the quotes, maybe the outrage that you felt when you saw the person that said the quote, uh, because we're all stuck in these silos of our own ideologies and ideas and, and the people who are in and who are out. In the book, What If Jesus Was Serious, this, we're going over kind of part three, and if you want to know, go more in-depth with it, uh, come to the pastor's class after the service. Uh, but Sky, the, the author, gives this little illustration of the new fruit of the Spirit, updated for a digital generation, all the fruits of the Spirit, and then there's outrage, right? A lot of our stuff is set on outrage. We need to be outraged about all kinds of things. That person or that leader or that politician across the country said something. That makes me very angry, Okay? We've developed this anger and this outrage. That outrage that we keep experiencing often turns us against our own brothers and sisters. That we then hate our brothers and sisters. We say we love God while we're still hating our brothers and sisters, calling them liars. Hating brothers and sisters who we haven't met or seen. All the while we love a God whom we have not seen. Jesus identified anger as the posture of the heart that leads to murder. That's why the first part of the scripture talks about murder today. It's strong language that Jesus is using. It is the seed of sin that leads to destructive acts. Maybe you're not someone who's going to fly off the handle. Maybe you don't have that reactive anger that some people have. Maybe you're more, more calm. Um, my temperament means tends to be more calm and level-headed. Uh, but you don't know what goes on the inside, right? So even if you're calm and level-headed, there may be a lot of anger and issues in here or in here that go on all the time. You could have that self-righteous anger that brews inside. Now, Jesus talked about a form of anger in this passage today that we actually glance over quite a bit. Through all of the stuff he's talking about in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, he's talking about Contempt is one of the pieces of anger. This is the, a graph or, or illustration in the book that kind of shows first we have that annoyance, then there's anger, then there's rage, and then all of a sudden after that it drops down to contempt. All right? Now, in the scripture, uh, if you were listening closely, uh, Pastor Don used a word that you're probably like, well, what was that? The rakah. Right? And that was a word used by Jesus because it was a word at the time that his audience knew is a cultural word derived from the sound of clearing spit from one's throat. Meaning contempt for a person. <laughs> right? That's more of a loogie. I don't know if that's the right, <laughs> right one. <laughs> 
But contempt is an advanced form of anger. Contempt is cultivated when we don't deal with our own anger and our own self-righteousness. So Skye says that contempt seeks to diminish the inherent value of the other person. It views the other as subhuman, not even worthy of my anger. It excludes the other person from being worthy of care, thought, or dignity. So if we have contempt for others, that's why there's, there's this exercise before the sermon of these different people with these different quotes. You may think you really agree with it, then you see the person, you're like, eh, I, I kind of have some anger, outrage, or even possibly contempt for that person. I think we all have that around certain people in our lives. But in our culture, it's all too common to devalue people devalue those with different political values, ethnic backgrounds, sexuality, economic status, or religious traditions. In fact, I think many of our political media leaders and even religious leaders build their audiences by doing this. This doesn't mean we shouldn't be careful or discerning or even have judgment upon things. But what it means is that we shouldn't let our own loyalty to a certain group or set of ideas to breed contempt for those who disagree with us. We can't let anger have the driver's seat. Contempt is also, if you talk to any uh, uh, marriage counselor, therapist, contempt, if that's present in a relationship, that is the relationship killer, right? If you have contempt for your spouse, that means there's not much more you can do. That relationship is over because now you view that person as less than human. You have contempt built up for them. This type of anger, outrage, and contempt will breed self-righteousness. And so this uh, illustration from the book is showing that who are the invisible in your community? The people that we view as subhuman, we don't think about often, that we can have contempt for, Because the visible are those I see as worthy of dignity, respect, and the rights I demand for myself. We are the true humans. That's how we think about it often. So who are the ones outside of that circle, the invisible? Those I see as unworthy of full inclusion or protection. Their mistreatment does not... Oh gosh, his writing is not helpful. Uh, Does not concern me. They are subhuman. All right? And we do this just automatically sometimes. We don't, sometimes we don't try to do this, but if there's certain people that aren't in our midst or in our circles, in our community, then we often view them as invisible. It's not my problem, it's their problem. I'm worried about myself and the people that are in my inner circle and what's good for us. So that's what contempt can do. It can create this feeling of self-righteousness that we are the ones who are right and then we never look at ourselves in a critical way, paving the way to view others as subhuman. So how do we, how do we access this wholeness and righteousness maybe that Jesus is, is talking about? Is it accomplished by taking possession of uh, things, including people, that our culture tells us we need to in order to be whole? The message we often get is one of some type of purity, purity message, purity culture type of thing, where if my group can just take possession of power, everything's going to be okay. 
that will make everyone whole. Everything will be better again. This leads into desire. Contempt, outrage, and anger can lead us to view people as objects. And in Jesus' teaching in this passage on lust, when he talks about lust, we often quote this to our youth groups a lot. I don't know if you were in a youth group when you are younger. This scripture gets quoted a lot that uh, it, you don't actually have to act on anything, but you're, causing, you're having lust in your own heart. And we say this to our, in our Christian co- culture towards men to show them how serious God is about sexual purity. Because in our culture, we can understand how lust turns, in, turns the other into an object for our own desire and nothing else. But then the teaching on divorce doesn't get the same treatment. The law of Moses gave a man the right to divorce his wife. This is, can be found in Deuteronomy. He did not need to give any substantial reason for divorce, but only to write her a letter of divorce. This gave undue power to the husband and often left the woman destitute, without means of support if she could not return to the home of either her father or eldest brother. For her economic survival, remarriage was vital. There's no other way a woman could make a living, could survive. But then, if she had to remarry, And when she was married again, both she and whoever she married became adulterers. And so according to that law, now people viewed them as outside of the circle. And oftentimes in church, when we teach on divorce, we like to just say, it's wrong, God likes right relationships, and that's true. But in this teaching that Jesus does, there's a lot more context behind it. What he's doing is a radical move compared to what they were used to. Jesus' teaching, in contrast, both upholds the original sanctity of marriage and protects women from economic abuse by their husbands. This is a radical interpretation in that it shifts the responsibility from the woman to the man. If he divorces his wife, he causes her to commit adultery. So as before, it was all put onto the woman. Now Jesus is saying, no, there's both, both and here. There's responsibility now on the husband. Jesus' discussion of divorce continues the idea, the focus in this passage, of whole and just relationships. It's been too easy for us Christians to read this as some kind of new law, especially as a word of judgment on those who get divorced, who have broken relationships. But if you notice in this passage, Jesus, Jesus doesn't condemn those who are divorced or get or have broken relationships. Instead, he's naming the consequences of a system, of a system that granted most of the power to men and had become more concerned with legal technicalities than with the fate of the people, especially the women involved. So we can read it often as God or as Jesus condemning those who get divorced, but no, Jesus is pointing towards stuff that is built into a system that keeps other people from experiencing wholeness and freedom. Are you with me still? All right. Followers of Jesus accomplish a surpassing righteousness when they strive for restored, reconciled relationships. That's what this passage is talking about. This is what basically the whole Sermon on the Mount is about. Reconcile relationships that are rooted in justice and immersed in God's 
grace. Sermon on the Mount is showing us that Jesus isn't just concerned with us um, having good actions or, or um, good behavior, but that we are to be good people. Last week, Pastor Dominic talked about the church's gymnasium to practice and develop our wisdom. I think that's true for righteousness as well this week. That like for most of the sermon, what we often take to be about someone else, this is the Sermon on the Mount, what we often take to be about someone else is really about us. Because the person we are most likely trying to impress with sincerity and honesty is not the other, but ourselves. We hear Jesus's, and I do this too, we hear this Sermon on the Mount, we read the scripture, and we're like, I know somebody who needs to hear this. I really know someone who needs to hear this. Instead of thinking, how do I need to hear this? How does this work out in my own life? Jesus then, towards the end of it, is talking about truth. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't lead people on. Don't don't have your yes be kind of a half-hearted yes and then pull back on it later. Yes means yes, not it depends. No means no. Not we will see. Maybe some parents have said that before to their kids. Oh, we'll see. Full, knowing full well in your mind, that's a no. So this truth that God is talking about. So then what is truth? Because we all like to say that sometimes in our culture, we have people that say, I'm just telling the truth. People get offended by that. I'm just telling the truth. Now there's, of course, of course I can't go through a sermon without mentioning the Packers or a movie. All right? So (laughs) uh, the movie I'm going to reference is uh, Glass Onion, which is the Knives Out sequel. There's one particular um, interaction that really hit me on first watch. And uh, you don't have to know the whole plot of the whole thing, uh, but this person named Birdie is kind of like an influencer or just media-type person, right? So she's gotten banned from Twitter for things she said. She's kind of in celebrity timeout right now. And she says that's because... I'm a truth teller. Some people can't handle it. All right? So then uh, Benoit Blanc, the detective in the story, says, it's a dangerous thing to mistake speaking without thought for speaking the truth, don't you think? It's a dangerous thing to mistake speaking without thought for speaking the truth. Judgment and discernment is good for us. It's a, it's a way that we can discern what God is doing in the midst of us. We get to discern how God is repairing the broken creation, how we get to be a part of that. Judgment, discernment helps, helps us see where God's scalpel is carefully removing the malignant tissue that threatens life. Judgment is God's way of burning away all that is cruel and spirit-killing in order that we may breathe the air of compassion. So in other words, judgment can be good news. It's God setting things right. So if we think truth-telling is simply saying all of the intrusive thoughts that we have come across our brain, then you're not paying attention. It is good and right to discern and judge your thoughts, ideas, etc., your beliefs, 
so that you can find the truth that God is setting before you. Otherwise, it just ends up being your truth and not God's truth. And sometimes our truth isn't really true, right? So, what we're getting at here is kind of this difference between self-righteousness and real righteousness. Self-righteousness is all about I'm right, they are wrong, therefore I am superior. The race we had down here with the kids running around, of course we can always think, well, I'm better than others at this. And that's true, a lot of us have talents that others don't, right? So some of us are more gifted at other things. But the problem is when self-righteousness comes into play is when we think we're actually better than that person. Real righteousness, though, is letting Christ work in us to make ourselves right before God and to make our relationships right. We've said around here many, many times that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of right relationships. So in closing, I want to give another story quick. And this story is actually in the What If Jesus Was Serious book as well. Justice Anton Scalia who died in 2016, was celebrated by conservatives and dreaded by progressives. Both sides recognized his brilliance and his sharpness of tongue and pen. Yet he was also beloved even by his opponents. It may have been because... Oh gosh, why am I messing this up? Hang on, I need water, that's why. Scalia, see? Ah... It may have been because Scalia held his beliefs without contempt for his opponents. He said, I attack ideas, I don't attack people. And some very good people have some very bad ideas. And if you can't separate the two, you got to get another day job. (laughs) So the work of righteousness should change us from the inside out, not just our thoughts uh, and heart, but also our actions and how we treat people, how we care for others. I think it's good bookends that the first sermon in this series was all about, was Jesus serious about the heart and how if we change our heart and let God change our heart, it changes how we view the world. That's righteousness taking place in us, that God is making our hearts right so that we can advocate for those around us, not just the people we love and care for, So ask yourself this week, am I practicing self-righteousness? Am I doing that more often than I'm practicing actual righteousness that Christ is calling us to? Am I letting God work in me to cultivate holy righteousness that changes my views, my actions, and heart? If you do that, then you'll be taking righteousness seriously just as Jesus did. Amen? Thank you for listening to Voices of Hope. If you have enjoyed our podcast, please rate and review it and share it with your friends. If you want to know more about New Hope, you can subscribe to our weekly email newsletter, The Midweek Memo, by going to our website and signing up. Friends, may you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and may you go and love your neighbor as yourself. Go in peace.